There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 10th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The words Ogly Naharan will in future be used only to describe the Irish Defence Forces. Describing any other organisation by using those words will become an offence that carries a fine of up to €1,000. The Irish Independent is reporting this week that uh, this new offence will be included in changes to the general scheme of uh, the Defence Amendment Bill which is to be published shortly and it is as a result of a proposal that came from Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne. Malcolm Byrne is on the line with us as is Rory O'Murakou, a Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead and good morning to both of you. Senator Byrne, first of all, uh, I suppose it's worth mentioning that the reason we've asked Rory O'Murakou to debate this with you is uh, because uh, on the surface of things, this looks like a, a way of attacking Sinn Féin in an election year. Uh, would you agree? Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Rory. And uh, Happy New Year to you and to your listeners. Uh, no, I, I brought this legislation forward in uh, 2021. And it was after a number of discussions that I've had with members of the Defence Forces it's not just around uh, the title of Ogligna Heron. I mean, I think people are aware that there have been a lot of challenges uh, in the Defence Forces. Uh, and certainly since Fianna Fáil went into government, we've sought to significantly increase uh, the level of investment uh, in the Defence Forces. It, it's up by about 50% over the lifetime of the government. Yeah. There was a commission on the future of the Defence Forces. So there are a lot of other issues as well that need to be addressed. But specifically on this question uh, of Ogligna Heron, there is only one Oglygna Heron, uh, and that is the Defence Forces. But what we've seen, and we're, we're even continuing to see it, is dissident groups and others uh, misusing it. Uh, this is something that particularly annoys those brave men and women uh, who serve in uniform representing our, our country. So I brought forward mm-hmm. legislation. And who, who are those others? Well, in many cases, they're dissident Republican groups. Uh, but yes, in some cases, uh, it is Sinn Féin who refer to members of the Provisional IRA, uh, as Ogligna Heron. Um, what this legislation provides, just to give certainty to people, uh, is that it doesn't impact on, you know, in a h- historical context when, for instance, Ogligna Heron is the term used uh, for those who fought for Irish independence in the War of Independence and so on. 
So for anyone who's concerned in, in that regard, you know, this is not being applied in historical context. This applies today, uh, that if somebody today uses the title Oglignaherin to refer to an organisation uh, without the permission uh, of the Minister for Defence, uh, it, 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 it becomes what's called a protected title, mm. which is quite common uh, in uh, in legal terms. Okay. Uh, then they are committing a, an offence. But, I, I, but, I, but it can be used for the old IRA, but not for the new IRA. Well, well the, the, before the state came into being, uh, and when you know we went through at that period of the War of Independence and the Civil War, Oakley Heron was was it in reference to those who would have been fighting uh, for independence. It's now Oakley is now the name of the uh, the defence forces of the state and has been for for quite some time. And for members of the defence forces, they get annoyed when others try uh, to to abuse that title. Uh, and I think it's incumbent on all public representatives uh, to say that there is only one Oglignairn, and that is the Defence Forces of the State. OK, let me go to Rory Amuraku. What do you make of uh, that? Uh, do you believe uh, that what Malcolm Byrne is saying is appropriate and you accept what he is saying about the exception that members of uh, the Defence Forces have taken to the use of the formula of words uh, to describe dissident groups and indeed the provisionals. Um, morning, Michael. Look, I can't see it. this as anything other than an absolute uh, sideshow. Uh, I, I, I don't see the point of it. I don't don't see how it's 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 going to work. Uh, obviously, look here. I've spoken to you many times before in relation to the defence forces. I'm fairly sure the defence forces is. Uh, in the constitution as Oglina Heron, which I believe would give protection sufficient to the name. I've obviously met a huge amount of those who are involved in Defence Forces, particularly seen as we've had in Nundalk the loss of Private Sean Rooney and we we you know what I mean, we we all have real respect in relation to that family and, and to Sean Rooney and the sacrifice that he made. Um I, I think this is a nonsense, but are you gonna tell me that like some young lad that puts up something like volunteer Bobby Sands, ugly Nahar and you know what I mean, we remember the hunger strikes on Public Taboo, that he's gonna be brought to court. How how exactly is this gonna work? I, I can't see this anything well, the Irish Independent went to some lengths uh, yesterday to highlight some of the things that are being sold uh, by Sinn Féin. Uh, 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 and uh, I'm surprised to hear what you're saying. Are you saying that the provisionals were not the Irish Army in, in your mind? Well, here, look, the Irish Army are the Irish Army. They are the Defence Forces. Um, look, in, in fairness, we're, we're all going to have a very different... Describe the provisionals. Michael, I'm, I'm going. No, no. no I, but I, 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 I just want to ask I, you to describe the provisionals. View. Well, yeah. And what I was going to say, and I've said to you many times before, myself, yourself, and I assume Malcolm Byrne are going to have a very different view in relation to how we view the armed struggle. Now, I view the armed struggle of, you know what I mean, that it was... It was um, unfortunate and absolutely desperate and a huge amount of people died but I would also say that a huge amount of young people particularly in the north grew up in a sectarian state okay okay we only have we only we only have two hours we only have two hours for this radio program in fairness I know but 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 but, okay uh, and based on that reality as you see it how do you describe the provisionals 
like first of all, the provisional IRA, call them what you want, the, the, the Irish Republican Army have left the field. They, you know, they are no longer on the field. I see it in a well, historic Well, I, I take it that the old no, IRA no, who fought for independence have also left the field. Uh, and we're exactly. Talk, but we're, we're, we're talking about things uh, currently and historically. So how, looking back on the Troubles, would you describe the provisionals? Here, I, I've given you my view. My view, and here, I've, I've said it many times before, that, you know, as unfortunate as the armed struggle was, the armed struggle happened on the basis of the conditions that existed in Ireland of oppression, of colonial occupation, and the fact is... Um, the now, you gave, you did give, you did, you, you did give us your view was, on the Troubles, yes, but was, you didn't give us was, your view on, on... You didn't give us... Look, have I used that term before, Michael? I, I certainly have, yes. Ugly Naharan. Yes. Right. Uh, and would you use it again in the future? I, I have never given any great consideration in, in relation to it. Do you think I, it's a, do, you, do, do you think that have it, I used in the last while have I used the term in relation to people who have died um, or um, have I used the term volunteer? Uh, yes, lo- lo- loads of time. But as I said before, see the uh, see the members. Okay, of the and a lot of people. Are, a no, lot and of... see the ma- Michael. Michael, no, just why are you shouting at me, Rory? Why are you shouting? No, sh- no, I'm trying. Why, why I'm are you sh- to... No, you're not. I mean, you're, you you just don't want to take the question. That's the way it sounds to me. Well, Michael, what I was going to say is, see the huge amount of people that I have talked to within the Defence Forces, particularly in the Dundalk area, not one of them have brought this up to me. What they have brought up is the issue in relation to pay and conditions and the under-resourcing of the Defence Forces over many years. Yeah. They have also brought up the questions in relation valid, to valid, the situation valid, in the valid, Middle but East. separate points. And I think, and yeah, but I also think that they are the issues that we need to deal with rather than this. I'm going to go back to my first point. I think this is a side so I'm not entirely sure how it's going to operate. And what, like, I do not see a huge amount of people that want to have this conversation other than Malcolm Byrne and others that think there's political points to score. Mm. Um, what do you think of the peace process, Malcolm Byrne? Um, do you not think that that was achieved because of the heroes and martyrs that made up Ogilvy Naharan, also known as the Provisional IRA, uh, and that we should be grateful to them and remember them uh, in history as the Irish Army. Uh, well, well, no, and I'll, I'll come to that, but I do want to respond to something that Rory said. Uh, this is not about political point scoring. This has been raised with me. Uh, and if, if Rory goes through the records, and you even see today members of the Defence Forces uh, recognising um, this fact that we are bringing forward legislation to protect this title... Uh, this legislation, by the way, will do a lot more uh, than just deal with protection of the title. It's dealing with the question of the representative organisations for the Defence Forces, how they can have an input into public sector pay talks. Again, something DD4 and RACO uh, have been seeking, and dealing with some of the, the fallout from mm. the Women of Honour scandal. So the legislation is more comprehensive than mm. just dealing with this specific issue. And that's why at the very start I also said the bigger issues are around retention and recruitment. But certainly from talking to members of the Defence Forces, and I know, by the way, when we, we debated this in the Shannon before, members of Sinn Féin were able to say very clearly, which Rory hasn't said, there is only one Oglig Naharan, that is the Defence Forces uh, uh, of, of yeah, Ireland. Yeah, because the IRA have left the stage. 
Uh, yeah, but but, but we didn't just, hear we didn't hear very. But there's still dissident groups and others who are trying to use this title. Sinn Fein is still merchandising uh, the title Oglig uh, uh, and I mean I would love to hear Rory say very clearly there is only one Oglig uh, the defence forces uh, of, of the state. Now, with regard to well, how he, this he will did operate, say that he said that with the caveat that the provisions have left the stage. Uh, but should you not uh, 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 accept? Uh, that some of uh, the achievements uh, that have happened since partition in Northern Ireland are as a result of the IRA campaign uh, and that many of the people who are enjoying those changes uh, would look on the provisional IRA as ugly Naharan. Well, I, I think that if you look at uh, the peace process, the peace process was a victory for ordinary people who sought peace uh, right across the political divide. And there were many people, and I would certainly acknowledge the role of, you know, prominent individuals within Chilhane, in particular, for instance, people like Martin McGuinness, uh, who, you know, realised that ongoing fighting, uh, you know, did not make sense. Uh, there were those who preached the message of peace for a long period, like John Hume and Seamus Mallon, who need, Do you, do, uh, do you not accept that, that the Catholics uh, or nationalists, oh, uh, depending on how you want to define people in Northern Ireland, uh, were uh, living in an apartheid state uh, before the provisional IRA campaign. Oh, there, there, there were there were hor- there was horrific oppression uh, of. And do you uh, accept do you accept that that has minority. ended as a result of the provisional IRA campaign, and that is why those very same people look on the provisional IRA uh, as heroes and martyrs? But this this isn't a debate around the peace process, and and, uh, and I'm not going to dispute the role that that members. It, it, it's not. It's around the use of the title uh, in contemporary Ireland, Oglig Naharan. And we've seen, and by, and by the way, this is not just because what we have seen in, in recent times in the, in the North, as we know, and nothing to do with Sinn Féin, is dissident groups who are now trying to use uh, the title Oglig Naharan. So what, what's intended in, in this legislation uh, is to protect that title. So if people want to be a dissident group and call themselves whatever they want, mm. they can um, okay, let, 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 let me ask Rory Muraku about dissidents. Uh, would you agree, Rory Muraku, that there should be a prohibition on the use of uh, the words of Naharan for dissidents? Well, let, let's be absolutely clear. We're, we're, we're talking about people who have absolutely support and um, who have no strategy, and um, as much as they have carried out huge, horrific acts they do not have the capacity to carry out a campaign that has been carried out by the IRA previously. They're going to call themselves whatever they're going to call themselves, and we're going to see people who end up in court, and they will use the term, uh, the IRA uh, self-styling itself as ugly Naharan or or, or something else. I absolutely refute these organisations. They have absolutely no support. Um, Do you agree that that there should be a prohibition on them describing themselves in that way? Well, here they shouldn't describe themselves as that. No, but should should there be a prohibition in law, though? And how is that going to work with an illegal organisation? But back to this other point. Like, how is this going to be enacted? And how is this going to act, as I say, if some kid... Who, let's say their grandfather is on the roll of honor and um, and he mentions something let's say on so- social media 
in relation to remembering his grandfather, and he uses the term Oglina Hearn. Okay, well, he's going to end up. I don't, I, I don't know, but Sinn Fein wouldn't be allowed to sell this badge that was reported on in the Irish Independent, the Oglina Hearn 3D badge, and, the Fight well, for Freedom pin. And what pin. is this badge? I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Irish Independent uh, wrote. Yeah, because here I'm. Here, any badges I have seen in recent times, I'll be honest, they usually had what looked like an IRA volunteer from the 1920s. Now, unless we're going to start looking into the type of jacket they're wearing and determining whether that trench coat was okay, from this, the well, 1920s. Well, well should Sinn Fein stop selling this badge? Well, what badge? I haven't, I, seen I, I, I haven't seen it either. I'm just telling you what's in the Irish Independent and I, and I have confidence and trust in the credibility of the Irish Independent. Uh, although it, it may ha- have its own agenda, I, I doubt that there's any uh, questioning uh, the factuality of, of its reporting in terms of it saying that the party also sells an ugly Naharan 3D badge, the Fight for Freedom pin, in its online shop. Should that stop? Here, I'm not entirely sure it's a badge that I would wear myself, but but I haven't seen it, so I can't possibly comment in, in relation to that. Some people like this sort of stuff. As I said before, I don't think this is the biggest issue, whether you hit uh, doors in Malcolm's constituency or I hit doors here in Dundalk, that anybody is going to bring up this issue. Malcolm Byrne. I think they may bring up housing. I think they may bring up the issue in relation to the defence Horses. And I accept the stuff that Malcolm's talking about in relation to the issues that need to be dealt with as regards PD4 and, 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 and mm. RACO. Uh, but the issue that we are on today is discussing this, and I can't see it as anything other than a sideshow. And tell me how it's going to operate. And again, not one member of the Defence Forces has brought this up with me. Mm. What do you make of that, Malcolm Byrne? Are you surprised that nobody in the Defence Forces has brought it up with Rory Murakou? Well, well, I don't know I mean, who Rory has been talking to, um, but, but certainly all I can say is, uh, and as I indicated, you know, there are a number of other issues in this piece of legislation from engagements I've had with the Defence Forces that are being covered. And, and yes, I totally get that it is not the most important issue with the Defence Forces, but just because in a particular area it's not the most important issue doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be addressed. Right across the legal system, the, context, the, the concept of protection of title, that you can only use certain words to describe yourself, certain professions can only use them, and they are protected because it means somebody recognises uh, it. And we have seen, you know, the title of Lignar, and, and this is not about, you know, uh, somebody who, who and, and as I explained very early on in this, this does not apply in a historical context. So we're always talking about somebody... Uh, on, on social media posting with their grandfather in the mm. War of Independence or whatever. That does not apply. But for some people, it's, this is an historical context. Uh, there was yeah. a very, very interesting report in the Irish Times uh, over the weekend, and I, I can't remember the Sinn Féin candidate's name, but a, a young man who's standing in the local elections uh, who was born after the peace process. Yeah. And, 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 and this, is, this is part of my point. This is not about, you know, we're not going to be able to change history. This is not about... You know, because people are trying to use this to say, oh, if this is on somebody's headstone, they would be. No, that is not what this is about. This is about in a contemporary context. And it's about recognizing very clearly that there is only one Oglignaheran, uh, and that is the Defence Forces. 
Now, other Sinn Féin representatives, you know, have said this, uh, and, and during the Shannon debate, they, they, they acknowledged it. I haven't yet heard Rory, Rory say in all this discussion, there is only one Oglig Naharan, that is the defence forces uh, of, of the state. Uh, and part of this is about the protection and recognition of that title, which is very important uh, to those brave men and women who don the uniform and who represent us effectively, uh, you know, in Ireland and internationally, including uh, where they have given, uh, as we mentioned, where they've given their lives. OK, Rory Murku, you know what Malcolm Byrne is asking you to say. Are, are you willing to do it? Yeah, here, this, the only reason I haven't said this is I take it absolutely for granted. There is only one defence forces. They are ugly and inherent. I'm not in any way going to dispute this. But and here, let's be clear, we have a complicated history. I, I know a huge amount of people who have joined the defence forces uh, who came from Republican families and who would also have people who are on the Republican role of honour in, in, uh, during uh, the uh, from the conflict, and I am fairly sure that they utterly respect um, their relation in relation to the determination they made to become involved in a conflict on the basis of the conditions as existed in the North, while at the same time they're very proud of the role they now play within uh, the Defence Forces. That's the reality in Ireland at the moment. Okay. I think we've reached agreement, have we, Malcolm? Well, I, I, I would hope so. And I think okay. this isn't, uh, you know, it's not that, that complicated a piece of legislation that we regularly engage in protection of titles. There are far bigger issues with the Defence Forces. This legislation is, is also dealing with a number of those. Uh, but I'm just glad that we now finally have protection for the title uh, so that it, it, it does mean that it cannot be misused uh, by anybody uh, and that it does show respect uh, to the brave men and women who are the members of Ogilvy Nehir and the Defence Force. OK, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne and Rory O'Murakou, a Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Meath. Now, if you'd like to comment on that, or indeed if there's something else you'd like to talk to us, and more importantly, the people listening to the programme about, you can call us now and make comment on the programme. Our telephone number is 041983. Three two thousand. Let us know what's on your mind. Oh four one nine eight three two thousand. That's if you want to ring us. You can text or WhatsApp us today to oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. Whether you text or whether you send a message via WhatsApp, it's the same number. Oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. And you can email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, a comment uh, that came to us uh, yesterday that uh, I didn't uh, get to with uh, apologies uh, to Dara who was in touch to say that he's been following the Brother Garvey story very closely from day one on the radio station and he says he's commented on it before but he says it seems that for some reason there may have been an attempt to block this matter from reaching the agenda of a Louth County Council meeting. It's dreadful that the show and the council have to look at nearly 900 items of information under the Freedom of Information Act to find out the truth. Uh, It uh, is a dreadful waste of resources. Why can the person in charge of the agenda not tell the public exactly 
what happened. It would only take a minute and it would demonstrate an open and transparent approach from a public body, i.e. Louth County Council, to the public. Is that too much to ask, Dara said in his uh, message to us. Uh, And thank you indeed uh, for that, Dara. Uh, It's an ongoing story uh, and I think we'll be hearing more uh, about that story in the coming days. As for today's opening story, uh, we've a text or WhatsApp message actually that comes to us uh, from somebody who says that Malcolm guy really needs how to answer questions instead of avoiding them. Thank you indeed. I'm not sure what prompted that text, uh, but thank you indeed. That's uh, Senator Malcolm Byrne who was uh, debating there with Sinn Féin TD Rory O'Muraku. Uh, some text messages uh, then coming to us uh, today as well. Somebody else in touch saying, what a conversation on a Tuesday morning. Is that all that Senator Malcolm Byrne can talk about? What are we employing him for on big wages and expenses? There's much more important issues than this electioneering, methinks, says our caller. So is that the story that we have been talking about? Is it electioneering or is it as a result of complaints and concerns and indeed exception that members of the Defence Forces, the Irish Defence Forces, have been taking to the use of the words ugly nerum? Uh, another call that comes to us uh, from Jerry, uh, who has says uh, you've been talking a, a lot about uh, the tragic situation that we've been looking at over the last 12 months and indeed in uh, the first few days of this year where lives are being lost unnecessarily on the roads. There's so many bad habits, he says, that he was parked at a red light this morning, uh, was waiting for his light to change uh, and uh, then he noticed uh, that the light changed from green to red uh, on the other side of uh, the junction. Uh, When the light went red, he says, a car went through. Uh, And then he says, yeah, you've guessed it, a second car went through. And he says, if that wasn't bad enough, Just as his light went green, a third car went through a red light. What is wrong with people who don't respect red traffic lights? Red means danger and why are people breaking the lights? And if people are going to do that, what does it say about their attitude towards road safety? And if people have such a bad attitude, is it any wonder that we're seeing tragic incidents on Irish roads. Thank you, Jerry. Our phone number 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Is the government turning its back on Ukrainian refugees, running scared that it'll lose seats in the local and European elections as a result of its policies on immigration? Today, the Cabinet is to approve reducing welfare from €220 to €38. And it will now offer emergency accommodation to Ukrainians for a mere three months. After three months, Ukrainians fleeing the war to Ireland will have to find their own accommodation 
or live on the streets. This comes on foot of pressure, no doubt, from the far right and ahead of local elections when it is inevitable that the race card will become a prominent feature. Let's speak to the chairperson of the Green Party, Senator Pauline O'Reilly, who's on the line. And good morning, Senator, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. This really is a shameful move, isn't it? Are you embarrassed by the actions that the government are about to take? I mean, the amount of misinformation in in, in those kind of comments um, that have been coming out, I think, really needs to be addressed because this which has comments? been on the cards. For, well, this this has been on the on the cards for a long time. Sorry, it's which comments? Did, did I say something? The, the, mis- the, 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 no, not not you in particular. Right. But the, the okay. comments. The comments. Okay, from but maybe we could stick to the comments that, are, that I've just made, yeah. and perhaps you could address well, the, the question the that the I've comments, just put to you. Are, are, are well, you ashamed? Just, are you ashamed of the way the government? Okay. I'm just about to address. Okay. So the, the reality here is that this has been on the cards for a long time. Um, we're two years into the war and um, there is a, it is a European agreement, which is a temporary protection um, agreement, which is directive, which is that every country in the EU um, has to provide accommodation for Ukrainians, which is what we've all been doing. But um, we have known that Ireland's offering has been significantly above that of other EU countries. So this is going to bring it into line with other EU countries, which is the correct thing to do to ensure that we can take Ukrainians, um, that we are uh, ensuring that those who can find their own accommodation, Mm. um, they'll be on the, the exact same welfare as everybody else. But those that need to um, avail of state-funded, paid-for accommodation will be on a lower amount of, um, of, of money, the same as those coming from other countries um, in international protection, for 90 days. And then if they find their own accommodation, that goes back up to 220, just the same as anyone mm. um, on social welfare. Um, and that's, that's the correct thing to do. So we have been in an emergency situation for a couple of years. I thought we, we were know that it can continue. We are offering people refuge. That's so where, continuing to where, happen. Where, 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 are, we, where we, are we offering them refuge three months after they arrive here? Where are they going to sleep at night other than the streets? This is this is the exact this is the exact same as is happening right across Europe. I, and it? the reality is, it, it, is, is it? it is and the reality the reality is that what happens is that Ukrainians know that this is happening, and those it's, that are already it, it here, it is happening it in some European anything. countries. It's not happening right across Europe, and I, I, I think that's misinformation. And I, I'm not sure that there's any other European country that has a housing crisis on the scale that Ireland has. In other words, if you're in Poland and you have to seek your own accommodation, it probably will be possible. Where it'll be impossible here, and people will be forced to sleep on the streets, will they not? There's. There's a lot of accommodation issues right across Europe. So let's just say that. And every country has different things. Every country has different offerings. So Ukrainians here who will be coming and getting the €38 euro a week, they will also be getting the full amount of um, child benefit. They'll also be getting medical cards. So that that's not, you know, it's not the only thing that they'll be getting, which, there, you know, some countries offer, some don't. So everybody has something different. But at the same time, um, it's comparable in terms of if you add it all together. And that's the correct thing to do. Now, a Ukrainian person, uh, because of this, which uh, international protection people who come to Ireland don't have, refugees from other countries don't have, um, this 
this directive in Europe means that they can choose to come to Ireland, they can choose to go to another country. Mm. And we need to make sure that it's, you know, it's a level playing field. I think it's the right thing okay. to do. And what we've seen in other countries... What we see in other countries is that people then make the decision, well, you know, on the, on the balance of things, given that I mightn't have accommodation long term, I might make a decision that I might go somewhere else yeah. or I might go to Ireland if I feel that I've got family there who can put me up afterwards. Okay. So that, that's, what, that's all that's happening so, here. So if and so I think end, we really have oh. to be careful that we're not saying that, you know, it's because of the far right, because I think that's that's really. But of course, it's like because of the fear. far right. It's because uh, the government parties are, are running scared, afraid that the far right will uh, convince people not to vote for government parties in the local and European elections because of immigration policies. So you're changing your policies now, just ahead of uh, the elections. I'll, I'll I'll be really clear, as I, as I always have been, that um, you know the decisions that I make. And the decisions, uh, maybe they're not the same for every political party, are with the, the best of intentions. And, you know, a lot of a lot of politicians also make decisions with the best of intentions. Um, and, you know, we, we could do another job. Mm. We've chosen to do this job to try and make it as fair as possible. And so for those coming from other countries, not just Ukraine, they're already getting paid 38. They've always been getting that 38 euro. Yeah, well, in some countries um, they're getting 300 euro, as I think you know. But after three months in this country, after arriving here, uh, three months after arriving here, where where are people supposed to go? What do you envisage? Well, this well this is this is the point that I'm trying to make here is that um, you know we we all know that there isn't limitless accommodation, and we all know that. So this is dealing with practicalities, and so people know themselves when they're coming here. Here's the limit of what we can offer, and you have to make the decision yourself. Do you have other other uh, money that you can mm. you can use in order to be able to get accommodation, like, it, like we would expect of anybody, mm. um, you know, or or you know, so okay. ninety days is more than people who aren't from Ukraine um, mm. might be getting if you decide to move to another country. You are, know? You, are, so, are you like, saying it's are, all in the balance? Are, are, it's all a balancing act. Are, are you saying to women and children in Ukraine that if um, they don't want to stay in Ukraine, uh, that they should go somewhere other than Ireland because they'll end up on the streets? Or is it that if they don't want to end up on the streets, that they should stay in Ukraine? We're not saying anything other than, here's the offering. It's up to you to make that decision What if you think that you'll be able to get accommodation afterwards. Everybody is, is made fully aware of that. And I think that that's the important piece. Just the same as if if, you know, an Irish person was going to another country, they know what the offering is. They can make the decision mm. themselves as as to whether that sounds like they can or they can't. And also remember that what, nearly, what people nearly... coming from, people who are here already, you know, people in Ireland have been massively generous. People ha- I, that I know um, who are, you know, have people from Ukraine living in their homes, uh, an amazing relationship. We have uh, amazingly mm. about, about half the amount. About half the amount of people we were told to expect when the government told us to expect up to two hundred thousand people. Well, are, are you th- saying that you can sleep with a, a good conscience, knowing that there's already nearly five hundred international protection applicants sleeping on the streets, and that think, that figure is going to increase by God knows how many uh, in the next three months or so? 
Well, I think that that's I think that that's why we need to 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 say that there are emergencies we, where there are vacant properties. Of course, those vacant properties have to be used in order to put roofs over people's heads, and that's that's the compassionate empathetic thing to do and so that's what we should do as Irish people but we also have to be honest about what can be provided. Now that honesty is probably uh, music to the ears of the far right music to the ears actually of Vladimir Putin Well I I, I can't comment on on what other people think about it, I'm just giving you the facts and and that those facts have been made for practical reasons and I think it's the right thing to do and it's the right thing to ensure that um, we have different things in this country. As I say, we've got um, a children's allowance. Other places don't. We've got a medical card. Other places don't. We've got, you know, accommodation for three months. Some countries do, okay. some countries don't. Well, I think, you know, I think, every, I think every my, country is slightly different. I think it was minus five or minus six in parts of uh, the country. So if people end up with hypothermia after sleeping on the streets, at least they'll be able to go to the doctor for free. Is that your argument? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think we, we'd be going around in circles about it. I, I'm saying we're, we're being practical. Um, it's two years into the war. Um, I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be fair to, to anyone coming to the country to not say, "Here's what we can do, and here's what we can't do at the moment." And so that's what a responsible um, government should do: is to say, "Here's what we can do," and and not to pretend that we can do more. And if there are vacant properties, to try and make those vacant properties available. Um, but if they're if they're not, and if we can't um, get them, to, to also be honest about that. So, um, look, in the round, um, we've known for six months that this was coming. It's um, Fine Gael Minister bringing it to Cabinet today um, on this social welfare. It'll have to go then before the Dáil and the Shannon to be debated fully and um, before the legislation is passed because it'll, it'll take legislation so those from all the opposition parties will be able to have their say, put in okay. amendments and so on and uh, and go through the proper democratic process. This is this is the first step that Minister Heather Humphreys is bringing it to Cabinet today. Okay. Alright, we'll leave it there for the moment but thank you indeed as always thank for you. joining us on the programme today. That's uh, the chairperson of uh, the Green Party, Senator Pauline O'Reilly. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Irish Daily Mail is reporting today that as of yesterday, there were 99 secondary teaching posts being advertised on the educationposts.ie recruitment website. Of those 99 vacancies, 21 are in County Meath. It's the subject of much criticism from the Association of Secondary Teachers in Ireland. The General Secretary of ASTI, Kieran Christie, is quoted in the paper as saying that the Minister Norma Foley's determination to maintain the extraordinary casualisation of teachers' employment status in their early years, coupled with an excessive length of pre-teacher training for graduates, demonstrates a minister with neither the political will nor the wherewithal to properly tackle the pro- the, the problem. Let's uh, speak uh, to Dermot uh, de Per, who is uh, the Deputy General Secretary for ASTI. And a very good morning to you, Dermot, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. This is morning, exceptionally strong criticism of the Minister. Yeah, well, 
I, this, this has been a problem. There's a crisis in uh, teacher recruitment at the moment and retention in the country. And schools around the country, it used to be confined chiefly to Dublin. It used to be confined chiefly to certain subjects, the STEM subjects and modern languages. But now practically all subjects and the whole country is suffering from not being able to get uh, teachers of uh, that are required in schools. And 99 vacancies at the moment, this is in the middle of the school year, and that, that, that's 99 people advertising positions. Some people have given up and they're, they're patching up and whatever. There are more than 99 vacancies, I would say, in the system. And as you say, 20 of them in me, then I imagine there are more of those. And while there has been a, a high-level group uh, meeting in the department to deal with the issues of teacher supply, they kind of seem to tinker around with small measures or adjusting measures that are already there, but anything that costs money, they balk at. And unfortunately, there are a lot of things that need to be done, but some of them are going to cost money. Um, one of the big issues that we have been raising again and again is the fact that, unlike for primary teachers, secondary teachers who are teaching in private schools outside the EU, and uh, so that means teachers teaching maybe in the United States, in Canada, Australia, but particularly in the case of secondary teachers in the Middle East, in you know the UAE or Qatar or places like that, when they come back... If you're a primary teacher, you get a certain amount of credit for the years that you've done there. If you're a secondary teacher, you get none. So the attraction of coming home, which is hard enough anyway to, to attract people, mm. you know, because our salaries aren't as good and because of the difficulty of buying a house. But people do want to come home. Maybe they want to start a family. They want to do it here. They, look, they examine the situation and they say, yes, well, I've been teaching here for seven years. But if I go back to Ireland, I will get at best uh, a temporary job a, a job for a contract for one year that will be full time it may be a contract for a year that will be less than full time and I will start at the bottom of the scale, unlike, say, my primary colleague who will get so many years incremental credit for the service they have done. We, we've, asked, we've raised this at the department. The department has said that they are, they are looking at this. But recently at a meeting of the Teacher Conciliation Council where these things are discussed, they informed us that, oh, yes, they had hoped that it might, something might be done in the last budget, but they hadn't actually asked uh, for it to be done. The, the finance section of the department decided it wasn't a priority. And they've said they're still looking at it, but they have not talked to the Department of Public Centre Reform, who have the money mm. and who are the ones who will have to give a sanction. So the minister issued a statement in response to our statement saying that they were examining this, but we don't quite know what that means when they are not engaging with the paymaster uh, to address this problem. And that's just one example. I, I of, don't think anybody could understand. 
look, I, what, I'd like to, the point, the, I suppose the point is, to say, when you say she hasn't the political will to tackling it, she says she's doing things, but we can't see the evidence that, that anything is being done, that it's going to actually make a big difference. Um, as, as I said, the, the enticing people to return from places like the Middle East, where there are a lot of Irish teachers, and there are other small nonsensical examples. I was at a meeting not that long ago with, there's a migrant teachers project run in Marino and there was a teacher there I was talking to. He's Nigerian. He's a fully qualified maths teacher. He speaks perfect English. He's registered with the teaching council. But he can't get a work permit because he's from Nigeria unless he gets a two-year contract. And no the, the education system won't give you a two-year contract now. They will only give you a one-year contract. Now, that's, that, that's something that I would have thought at the stroke of a pen. Now, it's not going to solve the problem. But there are lots of these issues that happen all over the place and nothing seems to be done. The, another issue we've raised is the length of the, the increase, of which happened a few years ago, of the postgraduate. Um, it used to be the HDIP, it's now PME, the Postgraduate Masters in Education, which you need to, to qualify as a teacher. It's become a two-year degree, which suddenly now means that you if it takes six years to qualify as a teacher, nearly as long as, as a doctor. And it, it means a lot of people who are going down the road of teaching and it comes to the second year and they're saying, can I afford another year? I have a degree, I have whatever, and there are options. There are other options for me rather than doing two years postgraduate. Um, and so either it should be, we're calling for it to be reverted back to the year long, or at least to examine something like, for example, they do in Scotland, where in in the second year, you do your teaching experience as part of that second year, and you're paid for it. Mm. If you're a trainee nurse, uh, you get paid while you are doing your, your placements and your work in the hospitals. The teacher doesn't, and that makes it less attractive again for somebody who's just graduated. There's no shortage of jobs in the country. There is a shortage of jobs that pay enough to, to be able to live. So you add all these things together, and somebody is, as a teacher who can get, earn more money abroad or who can earn more money in private industry, is saying, and who can also get more security quicker in private industry, which is ironic, um, why would you stay in teaching? Mm. And, and obviously, it's, as I said, it's across all subjects, but it's particularly, there are certain subjects, as I said, the modern languages, Irish, maths, the science subjects, home economics, it's very, very difficult to get teachers of any of these subjects. And, you know, so there have to be further enticements. Teaching has to become more attractive. Because, as you say, it's, it's a question of either not being qualified teachers or are schools dropping subjects because they can't get the teachers for it. Uh, and and, when, when you talk and about children only have one chance. That's the, the other problem. You know? Sure, yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, your education is your education. Yeah. And you finish your education and you're on your own, uh, so to speak. But uh, what, what do you mean when you say unqualified teachers. In other words, people who are in classrooms teaching children who don't have a qualification to do that because uh, how extreme can that be? I, I heard recently of a school child, uh, somebody who was in sixth year who was teaching a class. Well, I don't know how that happens, but anyway, yeah. that, you know, that, that, but, but it's extreme, no, it, isn't it? But, it's, it, but it is crisis. It's a combination of people who are not qualified at all as teachers because there's a stopgap, or teachers being basically asked to fill in in subjects that they're not qualified to teach, and sometimes that they are not comfortable to teach. And now, there has been a tradition of people teaching what we would call out of field, and, you know, so somebody, but well, what, so what might happen is you might have a maths teacher who happens to be fluent in Spanish. Well, probably not a maths teacher because you need them for something else. But, you know, mm. you have a teacher who's fluent in Spanish, but they're not qualified to teach it, and you ask them to 
fill in the gaps. That happens. But often there is no body. This is the other problem. It's, and and there's a huge question. You talked about the full-time positions. But if somebody's out sick or on maternity leave or whatever, it's very, very difficult now to get substitutes in because there's a shortage of teachers. And why would you take uh, you know, a short-term contract when, you can, when, when there, there are jobs available? So teaching has to become more attractive. And it has to be... And, and, and for example... If they started to pay the either reduced the the PME by a year, that would suddenly provide an awful lot of teachers much more rapidly. Or if they started to to pay people for their teaching practice, it might make it more attractive for people to actually do the teaching job. Because the minister said in her counter statement as well about lots of teachers registering over the last few years. They may be registered, but they're not actually teaching. This is the problem. Mm -hmm. You can be registered in the teaching council, but you've been offered work somewhere else, or you can go abroad, because most people will keep up their registration while they're teaching abroad, in case they want to come back. Um, so registering is not enough. They actually have to be in the classrooms. And it's, it's, it looks like it's less and less attractive for people to go into our classrooms. Okay. And that has to be addressed. Right. And, and the other issue is, is permanency happening sooner. That it, there's no reason uh, why it has to take two years before you have any chance even of getting a permanent job. And as you know, if you go in and say, I'm a teacher to the bank, they say, oh, that's great, you have, that's your salary. And they say, well, what's your contract? And they say, well, I have a contract for a year. And they say, well, come back to us yeah. when, you know, we're not going to give you a mortgage based on a one-year contract. So that situation has to be addressed urgently as well. Okay, Jeremy, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for okay, joining us on the programme this morning. Jeremy Deper, Deputy General Secretary with ASTI, that's the Association of Secondary Teachers in Ireland. Some more comments coming to us uh, today. Uh, text uh, from somebody who says, I was listening to TV3 last night, I think it's called Virgin Media now, but absolute stupidity from the Ballinrobe woman saying single men are a danger to women and children. Terrible statement to make. Single women can just be as dangerous to children. Not sure if it's racism or ignorance, to be honest, Michael says, our caller. Um, I don't know, but it, it does seem uh, that they won the argument. Uh, maybe that's because it's an election year. Going back to that conversation that we had with Pauline O'Reilly of the Green Party earlier on when it comes uh, to welfare entitlements, perhaps immigration policies are, are changing in line with elections and what might hurt the government parties in terms of winning and losing seats. Carl in Mornington in touch with us uh, saying we have some useless senators uh, who are an absolute drain on public finances. Uh, I take it uh, the uh, uh, idea or the logic of uh, the text is uh, that there's a saving that can be made there. Um, we'd uh, Somebody else uh, in, in touch with us, uh, uh, it's Maggie, I think. Uh, she says uh, the problem... Uh, is not getting enough attention here is an example that my child had. No home economics teacher from first to third year and no communication whatsoever from the school uh, got home economics teacher for fifth year, then the teacher left. So here we are at Leaving Sarah trying to cram in five years of work and it is impossible to do. These children are anxious, upset, and I feel nobody cares. In fifth year, uh, another subject major one, uh, the teacher was absent for nearly six months, sent work in, 
once and couldn't get a qualified teacher to cover so behind on this subject now as well. And it's a disgrace. And further to all of this, Maggie says, uh, more teacher absenteeism is a problem. But hee-ho, the children don't matter. Uh, You could dedicate a show to the issue. My blood boils over this. Parents need to speak out more. Thank you, Maggie, for your text to the programme, for your WhatsApp message to the programme this morning. 0419832000 is our telephone number if you want to ring us. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, Labour Party DD for Loud and Eastmeath, uh, Jed Nash has uh, come in to us uh, this morning to talk about a story that has been rumbling on over the last few days, uh, and that is the potential of uh, the Labour Party merging with uh, the Social Democrats. Good morning to you, Jed Nash. Thank you for coming oh, in. Happy New Year. Thank uh, and thanks for joining us. Uh, why not, I suppose, is uh, the question. Yeah, and I can understand why you would ask that question. And, and I can understand why uh, everybody might ask that question. And sometimes it's a question I have myself. Um, it's inevitable that those questions are asked. And it can be frustrating for um, our own party leader, Ivana Bacic, and indeed for the new Social Democrats leader, Holly Cairns. Every press event that they do, they're asked this question. We are two separate parties from the same tradition, with the same philosophy. It's natural that people will ask that question. There is no dialogue at the moment. There are no plans to merge. Uh, We respect that Mm. Uh, with the Social Democrats. They are a relatively new party. And uh, I can understand... Polling uh, better than the Labour Party. Marginally. 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 Latest poll, 5% for Social Democrats, 4% for the Labour Party. And this is a a party that has been struggling for some time. We're going into the next general election whenever that is to be held, uh, where you have at least two candidates who won't be putting themselves forward. Is that right? Yeah, there's a prospect that uh, at least two Social Democrats TDs won't be going forward either. Uh, That would be the speculation. That would be natural um, speculation. Um, The difference between the Labour Party and the Social Democrats polling-wise is within what we call the margin of error. Uh, And the margin of error is 3%. So uh, if you are to believe the opinion polls, Mm. then if we're at 4%, the Labour Party's support could be 7%. Indeed, it could be 1%. The Sock Dems could be 8% or it Mm. could be um, three below, two or three below where where, where they are. But if you look at the combined... um, Votes. I mean, traditionally, uh, and, and listeners are old enough to remember when the dynamic of Irish politics is very different than it is now, and when it was less fragmented, the Labour Party may have appeared in government, uh, followed by a period of opposition, where it could generally depend on 10% of the support of the electorate. When there wasn't competing candidates uh, and parties to its left, there mm. wasn't this slate of independence that you have now as well. And then, generally speaking, once in a generation, the Labour Party might have something like maybe number of seats in the late 20s or the early 30s generally around 15 to 20 seats uh, outside of, of government mm. uh, and the argument has been made that that social democratic space that centre left space has been occupied now by two parties not by one and that is affecting mm. the vote hall naturally enough it is affecting the position of the Labour Party but if you combine both that's about 10% you've that's seven, another reason you have 70 so if you don't replace Brendan Howland and Sean Sherlock which would be confident of doing yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you'd say that. That would bring you down to five, uh, and you'd wonder how many uh, of the Labour Party seats are, are safe. I take it Ivana Bacic's seat uh, is very much in question. Uh, again, this I I I would doubt. I mean, you, I want to take you back to 2021, and, and Ivana says it uh, all of the time, and she's absolutely right. 
if she was to believe opinion polls, Michael, she wouldn't have been elected. <coughs> in fact, wouldn't have contested the election itself, the, the by-election in 2021. There's been one electoral contest. There hasn't even been a referendum since the election in 2020. There's been one electoral contest, and that was the Dublin Bay South by-election, and Ivana won that and won mm. that handsomely. If you actually look at the Social Democrats' vote, it was actually quite derisory, and the bulk, actually, of the Social Democrats' votes mm. ended up going to uh, the Labour Party. And I would anticipate that, uh, you know, if the two parties are to remain independent, which I suspect that we will, um, I don't anticipate any moves towards a merger, even though we do cooperate uh, very clearly on lo- at local authority level and mm-hmm. at Dáil level all of the time. Uh, then you know there will be a situation where you know there are maybe you know incumbent Labour TDs and constituencies across the country who will benefit from Social mm-hmm. Democrat transfers, and the other way around uh, okay. when it comes to uh, the Social Democrats, uh, where they have incumbent TDs and where there are uh, newer Labour candidates, uh, maybe who uh, may recently elected the council and so on mm. that they would you know they, I, th- I would imagine that 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 the um transfers would be would be would be quite quite keenly watched will uh, Alan Kelly stand close. in the next election um that's a decision for Alan to make mm. yeah, so I would suspect not, that he will no if I, that I, I bring I, you down to four I, I would suspect that he will um we could speculate all day about mm. who's going to run and who okay. isn't there's been a lot of retirements yeah. in Finnegale there will be more in Fianna Fáil mm. uh, we know that there have been some in Sinn Féin mm. as well indeed locally here we've had our own colleague Amelda Munster who's announced that she uh, is not going to contest the next election so the situation is very but you, very you, fluid you'll be fighting for a seat won't you absolutely I will mm. and I'll be confident mm. uh, hopefully based on the work that I do and the good you know progressive representation that I try to provide here and the leadership that I try to provide in our community here in County Loud that that will mm. see me over the line. We have as well a strong team of four councillors who will be uh, contesting the election to be re-elected and we will be uh, uh, running candidates as well in the Mid-Loud area and in North Loud, something that we actually haven't mm. done for quite some time. Our organisation here in Loud is actually bigger than it's mm. been in many, many years and we're, we're fighting on all fronts. So we'll be but you, you, you fell out of favour with so many of your traditional supporters uh, who would say that's because you abandoned the principles that the Labour Party was founded on. Uh, I would uh, staunchly disagree that and of course we can have these discussions all day Michael and we've had these discussions ad nauseum mm. on this programme for okay, years but you're I, lo- I, I paid a price for that I lost my seat in 2016 yeah. by 300 votes I won that trust back in 2020 and I'm proud that I've done that I won the trust back with the people of County Louth and uh, I, I'm proud of the role that I played in fact in that government uh, on a number of levels I mean th- mm. this you know, last week for example we had a very significant increase in the national minimum wage if it weren't for not my pr- if it weren't for my presence in government from 2014 to 2016, uh, we would not have had the increases in minimum wage we've had over the last few years, stronger trade union laws, uh, different approach to uh, enterprise, and we've changed the conversation moving towards, for example, the living wage. Undoubtedly, there were um, uh, errors that were made in government in a context that's very, very different to the one we have now. Mm. And we can talk all day about things that arose from an election that took place in 2011 well, and arising from a crash mic. Well, you have a report, don't you? You have a report, uh, an internal report report uh, that was commissioned by Alan Kelly and Brendan Howland, uh, which highlighted uh, the disastrous term that the Labour Party had in government and the fallout from that. And that report, uh, according to the Irish Times in June, said that Labour failed to maintain public trust, mishandled key policy decisions, ran badly judged publicity stunts and agreed to legislation which was damaging to democracy. 
a damning confidential internal report found. That's uh, read directly from the Irish Times. And of course, uh, that uh, legislation that was damaging to democracy was uh, the abolishment of the town councils, uh, which you now say you want to reverse. Uh, not only do we say we want to reverse, but we actually have the humility to accept that that was a decision that uh, Brendan Howland says it himself as well. He was fer- too busy trying to rescue the country uh, than keep an eye on Phil Hogan and what Fine Gael were doing in terms of dismantling mm. uh, local democracy uh, in this country. Uh, in fact, we're the only party to have a piece of legislation on the uh, books. It actually went to second stage in the Dáil about 2017 to actually restore town councils like the ones we had in Dundalk and like, for example, Drogheda Borough yeah, Council. But they'd be there if it wasn't um, for Labour. You wouldn't no, have to restore they, 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 they would be there if it weren't for a decision taken by Fine Gael that yes, uh, in government we gave our imprimatur too. I think there's a very mm, kind of yeah, lazy analysis I mean. done all of the time, Michael, as well, about the context of the country at the time. What I'd prefer to well, talk your about... Well, internal, your internal the, report, that what, what, la- what Labour is talking about is the terrible things, the terrible things, we, terrible Michael, things that you, you did to single mothers. We, we are humble I enough. I mean, the most vulnerable people in the, the country, uh, it, it's, uh, I think it's long established as a, a matter of fact that those who are most at risk uh, uh, of poverty are, are single parents and the Labour internal report says you did terrible things to single parents. And I've said it here time and again that there are things that under ordinary circumstances would not have been done by anybody in this country. I think it is really convenient for you uh, and for others and indeed there, there are people in the Social Democrats as well who's uh, you've made careers out of the fact that they simply define themselves as not being Labour and they haven't been in government we're the only opposition party mm. that's actually been in government so we're open to examination and we accept that Do you accept that you really but do you accept that you really upset people who were afraid that they were that they were afraid that they were going but do you accept that you really upset people who were going to lose their medical card We remember the decisions taken by James Riley, the Minister for Health at the time decisions that shouldn't be taken and decisions that people like me and the back benches opposed uh, weren't in a position to stop um, for a very small amount of money uh, those decisions uh, were made to, to save a very small amount of money and the impact that they had was uh, uh, you know disproportionately affected a lot of people who uh, were absolutely on the margins. We can discuss this time and again, Michael. The electorate had made the decision in relation to that. The electorate are more important than your view, with respect. Uh, they, we well, are I'm in a democracy. We are in a democracy. Mm. You've asked me mm. these questions time and time mm. again, Michael, over the years, and I have explained them time and time again. And as I say... True democracy, you, you pay those prices and people make their decisions. Mm. And people made a decision back in 2016 uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the But do you apologise for position. those? For, 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 for and we, we, we had... Can, can you just let, let me... Let me let me answer and, and address mm. the But the, you did have a good run there now. Uh, we, we, we did commission an internal review because we're humble enough and actually mature enough to do that. Parties like Sinn Féin would never do that. Parties like Fianna Fáil would never do that. There are Fianna Fáil representatives who are routinely on this uh, um, programme, Michael, who you never ask about, you know, why they torched the country and are they sorry that they torched the country and the difficult situation that they left the country in and the difficult rebuild that have to hap- had to happen and the impact of all of that. You rarely ask, you know, representatives from another political party who are related to a, a military, you know, who, who had a military wing who created chaos mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do they apologise for the, the, the um, you know, situation 
situation that pertained in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s in this country, uh, they're rarely asked that question. And it's often only Labour Party representatives that are asked questions about their performance in government. That actually, a government actually that was elected three elections ago, yeah. uh, that picked up the pieces from an economic crash that occurred nearly 20 years ago. I'm much more interested in talking about the future. And when we talk about the sock Dems and the Labour yeah. Party, that's really what we should be talking about. Should social democracy actually decide that it's going to reunite? Great. The kind of block I think yeah. that could be impactful in Irish politics. The Sunday Independent poll this week showed very clearly that when asked the question, you know, would the Irish electorate back a single, you know, united uh, centre-left party, in this country, they say that 18% of the Irish electorate would. Now, that would be a very significant block uh, taking on Fianna Fáil. Like Fianna Fáil, for example, are at about 18% at the moment. Fine Gael are about 20%. Sinn Féin, at the moment, are on about 30%. When it comes to the next election of Sinn Féin or a government, they'll find that government is extremely difficult and may find, in fact, that their left-wing credentials, or at least the left-wing credentials that are represented by some in the party, uh, wear off fairly, fairly quickly. In a very, very different set of circumstances we'll judge, when, we'll judge, the country, we'll, we'll, when the country we'll was judge, absolutely broke, we'll when the country judge. was bankrupt, when the country was in receivership, okay. when we couldn't borrow money from anybody, and when a deal yeah. was done by Fianna Fáil, okay, an international treaty, you? you're just going to keep an talking. international treaty, Michael, <laughs> just, so I can't that we were actually so obliged, I can't ask any more obliged to implement under very different You don't want me to mention the Apple tax. Uh, Labour didn't want the Apple tax. You don't want me to uh, mention the water charges. Labour introduced the water charges and uh, would have implemented them had they not been shown the door and um, the most regressive step ever taken by any government was a Labour Fine Gael government with Brendan Howland saying it was the best value you'll ever get for five euro when they uh, changed the threshold, the PRSI threshold so that all low paid workers ended up paying PRSI of five euro. It, It was the most surprising thing to anybody who had ever supported Labour before that who would have thought that you take from the rich to give to the poor instead Labour decided to do it the other way around. Well no actually you're absolutely wrong in that Um, I mean we believe in a taxation system where everybody makes a contribution to the social protection system through PRSI to their future pensions and to the tax system more generally during our own term of government Ireland next to Israel had the second most progressive taxation system in the world. The better off, and it's it actually still it continues to be the case, uh, that those who have the most contribute the most to this economy. I don't think anybody would have an issue with anybody who's you know working at all, making a contribution through tax and PRSI. Uh, it is a left-wing uh, principle uh, that people pay tax and social insurance uh, and universal social charge. Um, so I think it's a quite an extraordinary claim to make that, um, well, you know, people shouldn't be paying tax or PRSI. If you're working, you pay tax and you pay PRSI. And well, but, most, but, most of the tax hall it was reversed. comes from those who... It was reversed on the basis so, of fairness. Uh, it was re- reversed on the basis of a political decision. Um, you know, we have to have a strong PRSI base. Remember, the PRSI so base... So you'd put actually, the lowest paid... Uh, the, so, the social... The so, you'd the collect social, PRSI from the lowest paid workers, would uh, you? You'd, no, con- you'd, you'd, you'd revert we, we, back we, to that, we would, would you? We wouldn't change... We, uh, see, there's, there's always... Um, uh, 
a very kind of convenient sort of position taken uh, when we look at the period 2008 to 20 sort of 13, 2014, that, well, sure, things must have been gone grand, but a decision was taken to introduce all of these kinds of measures that were very difficult at the time, just because you could. Uh, the decision was taken to introduce certain kinds of measures because no options were, no alternative options were provided. Michael, listeners understand the context that the country was in mm. at the time. Uh, people and, have made and, their decision. And, li- and listeners people, voted for Labour on the back of the Tesco ad. Uh, and uh, that really... Uh, I, I see it printed out in front of you there, Michael, and you produced it fairly regularly. You have a bit of an obsession <laughs> with the Tesco ad that was produced back in 2011 in yeah. the context of an election campaign. But remember, manifestos and programmes for government are different. Uh, we'd never managed to convince uh, 50% plus one of the electorate uh, to vote for the Labour Party or the centre-left. Uh, nobody ever has previously. Uh, remember, we were one-third of a government. Fine Gael were two-thirds. The programme for government, by the way, um, and people conveniently forget this as well, University of Strathclyde did an independent uh, assessment of the programme for government uh, and actually which party managed to get its manifesto commitments and the bulk of its manifesto commitments delivered uh, in the 2011 to 2016 election. It was actually it was actually the Labour Party and not Fine Gael. Things would have looked very, very different actually in this country if Fine Gael were in government alone or in government with the sort of independence mm. around at the time. It would have been the almost as bad. Of this, it would have been this, almost uh, as bad as no, Labour you, were in you, government according you, to your you, internal you, report. You, you would have, you would have, have been had, almost, isn't you, that right? You, no, you, you would have had mass was public the Irish sector. Times wrong? You would have actually compulsory redundancies in the public sector. You would have had mass reductions in social welfare payments. Social welfare payments, remember, Fine Gael the Labour Party, the, core, the Labour Party the, would have been almost as unpopular if it had governed on its own. That, that's what your report said, according that, to the Irish Times. Uh, the, the, again, selectively quoting things, Michael, uh, from that quote, Wr- written by an individual. That, that is actually, I think, directly uh, a, a piece of reportage from an Irish Times reporter that doesn't reflect the totality of that report. Okay. As I, I go back to the idea, we're a democratic party and a party that fronts up uh, with the Irish electorate. And sometimes that causes a, us problems because we are inherently a democratic party okay. and a party that takes its responsibilities to the Irish electorate, to the people who elect us, very, very seriously indeed. Okay. That's why the report that we we actually published it what party are you aware of would actually have the humility to do that to actually have that very open discussion publish a report that made very difficult reading for for some people mm. really challenging reading publish it put it out there for people to actually uh, uh, debate and discuss okay. we're having that discussion here this morning I've no difficulty with that sure. because I'm a Democrat yeah. and I come on and I discuss that and Michael mm-hmm. I've discussed mm-hmm. this with you you have on, mm-hmm. on several okay. hundred occasions unfortunately since, time, or... since 2011 <laughs> and I doubt we'll discuss this I'm, I'm again. not sure it was but quite we need as to talk, we need to talk about the future okay, and we will and that's what we're here to talk and, about uh, uh, and you wanted to talk to me about uh, the potential merger of the Labour Party gonna and the Social Democrats not going to happen in the short term okay. I think it's something that inevitably we'll return to in time it's not on the agenda at okay. the moment we cooperate very very closely we've I'm got similar time, policies okay. but uh, you know I can't see that uh, 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 closer lines happening anytime okay. between now and the general election. All right. well look thank you very much indeed for joining us and for coming in to us uh, this morning Labour Party TD for Loud and Eastmead, Jed Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing uh, this morning, the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign is supporting South Africa's application to the International Court of Justice over Israel's campaign in Gaza to be described as genocide. We're joined by Zoe Lawler, Chair of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign 
campaign. And a very good morning to you, Zoe, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, there are many people outside of Israel, particularly Jewish people, who would say that it is offensive uh, to them, uh, or anti-Semitic even, they will argue, uh, to them. Uh, to describe what is happening in Gaza as genocide because the argument is it it cannot be compared to what happened in the 1930s and 40s where millions of people were killed across many countries. Why is it that you believe what is happening is what should be defined as genocide? Well, first of all, there are also many Jewish people all around the world who in their thousands have been protesting against Israel's actions in Gaza. Um, And the second thing is there, you know, genocide doesn't have to be comparable to one or another. Uh, to meet the criteria of genocide, um, Israel is meeting uh, the criteria and the conditions of genocide in many ways, um, harming uh, numbers of the group, um, killing people in their thousands, uh, displacing them, depriving them of food, water, uh, medical supplies, uh, destroying healthcare facilities. Uh, so we would say that we Ireland absolutely should support the South African um, application to the International Court of Justice. Okay. And if you're correct in defining it as genocide, should that criticism be extended to Israel's supporters in the US, in the UK, in Germany and elsewhere? Well, I mean, if people are, if it is genocide and people are funding and arming it and greenlighting it, then they certainly are complicit in genocide. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, There seems uh, to be no end in sight uh, and possibly as a result of uh, that support that Israel is enjoying? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, I can't believe it. It's unconscionable that for over three months now, Palestinians have been killed in their hundreds every day, uh, thousands of them uh, murdered, thousands of children murdered, uh, thousands more uh, dead or, or missing under the rubble. You know, I saw a video the other day of rescue workers trying to uh, save a little girl in the rubble with their bare hands. Now, when we see earthquakes and landslides, international rescue teams uh, from all over the world come to try and help uh, rescue people, but Palestinians in Gaza are just left under rubble with their friends and family digging them out with their bare hands. So it's really unconscionable that this has been allowed to go on so long and not only been allowed, but been sanctioned and green-lighted and, as I said, armed and funded, particularly by the U.S., Do you believe uh, what happened on October 7th uh, was also a war crime? I'm sure war crimes were committed and must be investigated, um, but uh, there's no uh, justification for what's been done uh, regardless. Uh, So collective punishment is illegal. Um, Mass murder of civilians is illegal. Um, even the siege of Gaza itself is illegal at uh, denying people water, medicine, uh, food. You know, uh, starvation uh, levels in Gaza are unprecedented. Um, I, I saw yesterday from Save the Children, more than 10 children a day in Gaza uh, lose at least one limb uh, since this started. And much, so much of this is preventable because even the children or the people that are injured um, their injuries are so much worse because there's no medicine. Um, the, the hospitals are completely destroyed. The medics 
heroes, all of them are working under incredibly dangerous uh, conditions with almost zero supplies. And people are hungry and cold. Um, people have been bombed in the supposed safe areas they were told to go to. Mm. Uh, people who are living in tents. Uh, so uh, it absolutely has to stop. I, I understand. Uh, I mean, it's dreadful. I think we're all at our, our, our wits' end and have run out of words at this stage mm-hmm. uh, because what is happening is inhuman. But Israel will ask you what about the mass murder of civilians in Israel on the 7th of October? But uh, well, first of all, I've nothing to do with uh, anything like that. No, um, but if but, you're if uh, if you're condemning said, if you're condemning the actions of Israel, I've, would you not condemn the actions of Hamas? Well, the killing of civilians is wrong. So, but as I said, uh, collective punishment is illegal. Uh, so uh, we're now three months in. Uh, to uh, mass murder every day of Palestinians in Gaza who are being held under siege, deprived even of electricity, food and water. So uh, that's where we have to focus now. Literally every single day that this goes on, hundreds more people are killed, are displaced, um, are are, uh, maimed, and and the mental trauma is, is just beyond belief and and the north of Gaza is essentially reduced to rubble now. All the infrastructures, the universities, the civil buildings, the schools, the sports facilities, people's homes and neighbourhoods, communities, all gone. So it's extremely urgent that this is is stopped now. And the Irish government uh, must take action. I mean, for, for three months now, thousands of people have been on the streets every week all over the country and small towns, villages, big cities uh, demanding an end to this genocide and demanding action from our government. And it's time that the government reflected uh, the will of Irish people and took action and should support this uh, application by South Africa. And in fact, I wish they had submitted their own application. Okay, I think uh, the best way I can think of uh, describing the way people feel, uh, the way most people feel uh, at least, or the way the most of us feel, is helpless, looking on from the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. does, it, does it need to be that way or can people support your campaign if they wish to? Well, absolutely, people can support our campaign. And really, it's been very heartening in the middle of all this horror. Like, uh, we've seen just so many actions and fundraisers and vigils and marches and community groups, you know, coming together to do what they can. Because everyone says, what can I do? Um, And at the moment, we have an action item. We're asking people to write to the government to ask them to support uh, the South African um, submission uh, application to the International Court of Justice. We also ask people to come out uh, on Saturday in Dublin to the national demonstration um, at 1pm at the Garden of Remembrance. Uh, Our last national demonstration was the biggest ever uh, in solidarity with Palestine in Ireland. We hope this one is even bigger just to show the government uh, that we need action. Also, uh, part as a state party to the Gen- UN Genocide Convention, uh, uh, Ireland has obligations to do uh, use any means possible uh, to uh, prevent, uh, to act as a deterrent to prevent genocide. So, the Irish government could enact the Occupied Territories Bill, the Illegal Israeli Settlements Divestment Bill, uh, uh, acknowledge that Israel is committing the crime of apartheid against Palestinian people, uh, refer Israel to the International Criminal Court, suspend the EU uh, trade agreements. Uh, You know, there are many actions
actions that the government can take. So people are, I guess we can feel helpless, but we can also do everything we can to pressure the government to take action because they're the people with the power. And our work is to show them that we want them to change and to, to do something. History will not be kind to people who stood by while genocide was being committed against the Palestinian people, live streamed on our internet, on the internet, mm-hmm. on our TV screens every day. You know, we see mm-hmm. it. There's no excuse. Okay, Zoe, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Zoe Lawler, Chair of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As always, there's a number of incidents which Gardaí are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Garda Station joins us for this week's report and Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. We're going to begin in Enfield where items have been stolen from a van. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, on Sunday the 7th of January, between 5pm and 8.30pm at Newcastle Woods Drive in Enfield, County Mead, the injured party in this case reported that his van had been broken into and tools stolen. So the van was parked in the driveway of the house at the time and the rear of the van was damaged during the incident. Now, the following tools were taken, two passload nail guns, a DeWalt plane, two DeWalt battery drills, a DeWalt grinder and a DeWalt skill saw. Now, these amount to a significant loss to the injured party. So the Guardian and Trim are investigating this and are very keen to progress this investigation. So if any of our listeners this morning saw anything unusual or suspicious in the Newcastle Woods area of Enfield on Sunday evening last, to please contact Trim Garda Station. And as always, beware if you are offered second-hand tools for sale. If you suspect that they may be stolen, you can report this to any Garda Station. Indeed, it's in everybody's interest. Uh, we go next uh, to the Sheetland Road in uh, Termin Fecken and what Garda are describing as a most unusual incident. That's right. A female driver was dri- driving along Sheetland Road and at the top of the road there was a person lying on the road. Now, another car had already stopped another female driver and the man on the road was lying face down, but the women knew he was alive. Now, one of the women rang the guards and then the man got up and ran into a field shouting. So the first lady to stop said there was another man lying on the road at the cemetery. And when the guardie arrived, they took the man from the cemetery and searched the field for the other man. Now, needless to say, this was a very scary incident for the women who stopped. And I just wanted to highlight it to warn other motorists in the area, in particular female motorists, of this kind of antics. Now always be vigilant and if travelling, especially at night or alone, to always have your phone with you and charged. Uh, Another word of caution then in relation to phones, uh, but this time round uh, you're concerned about some scams uh, that people may fall victim to. Yes, there is another scam, phone scam, doing the rounds at the moment, and this is one regarding fines. Now, our advice is to not engage or to follow or click on any links and, of course, never enter personal banking details. Guardi do not send text messages or WhatsApp messages of this nature. So for more information on this, you can go to the Meads Crime Prevention Facebook page. 
Okay, and following the worst year in years on Irish roads last year, which saw a 19% increase in the number of fatalities and indeed the very bad start we've had to this year, 2024, you've some road safety advice that you'd like to share with listeners. That's right. Uh, With the schools having reopened, we would urge you to slow down, be extra cautious in the vicinity of schools and bus collection and drop-off points. So please adhere to speed limits and leave extra time for your journey as school traffic is to be expected. Do not park illegally while doing the school run. Do not block driveways or park on footpaths as this could block access for emergency vehicles or force others to venture out onto the road, which could be very dangerous. And be mindful of pedestrians and cyclists. And please take time to talk to your children about safety whilst walking, cycling or travelling to school by car or bus. And also with the freezing weather conditions at the moment, please, in the mornings, do not leave your car running and unattended to defrost it, particularly in built-up areas. Defrost your car externally or remain inside the car and ensure your tyres and wipers are adequate for cold driving conditions. Garda, Fiona Kerr of Navin Garda Station, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, today and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, just a, a couple of comments that we haven't come to as yet. Paddy Duffy in touch saying that the problem with the Labour Party is that when they are in opposition, they're centre-left, but when in government, they're right of centre. He also says uh, this legislation that Senator Malcolm Byrne is sponsoring is just attention-seeking. It is unnecessary and frivolous. Who the hell is going to enforce it? it? It most certainly will not be Malcolm Byrne, says Paddy Duffy. Thank you indeed for that. Ellen also texting us, saying the Labour Party are traitors to working people. My dad, Lord Reston, was a Labour man all of his life. But he gave all of us advice and that was never vote Labour. Thank you indeed, Ellen and everybody who was in touch with us today. That has to be the final word. Our time has run out and as once again, thanks to Maggie McGuire who researched the programme today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.